Girlfriends, episode number 284, Saints Around the World with Meg Hunter-Kilmer. Hello and welcome to Girlfriends. I'm Danielle Bean. I'm a wife and a mom and I'm on a mission to help you know your worth as a woman so you can find peace, balance and joy in family living. This week we are talking to children's book author Meg Hunter-Kilmer. You're going to really get a lot out of this conversation. Can't wait to share it with you. Let's go. girlfriend. How are you? Glad you're able to join me here again this week on the Girlfriends Podcast. I always pray for the people who listen to the Girlfriends Podcast, and I pray before starting recording each podcast. So congratulations, you have been prayed for. But truly, I'm just glad that you're here. Thanks for showing up. Thank you for giving the Girlfriends Podcast a try. If you are a first-time listener, I'm thrilled that you're joining us. I want to give you a special welcome. Okay, so this week, I have Meg on. But first, I want to acknowledge the season that we're in, because we're in that kind of beginning, you know, back-to-school season. And this is something that I've referred to in the past and shared on social media about. I call it the goodbye season. So around the time when I started having big kids going away to college, and that sort of thing. I came to kind of dread this time of year, like mid to late August. It was really hard for me because it was a lot of letting go, a lot of goodbyes. And you know what? This year's no different. It's a time of transition. It's a time of change. It can be really challenging. If you're experiencing that for the first time in your home, perhaps you have a child who's done with high school and moving on to a job or going away to college for the first time, this can be difficult. I want to encourage you to give yourself grace during this time period. Also, if you just have little kids and you're starting the back to school routine and that's challenging, give yourself grace. This is a time of transition and it can be challenging for many of us. Here in our house, uh, both my daughter Gabby and my son Stephen are going to begin their first year of college down in Florida at Ave Maria University. We're thrilled for them to have that opportunity, but it's going to feel a little bit weird around here. It's going to be just me and Dan and our two youngest, a freshman and a sophomore in high school, who are home full-time throughout the year. But Something I've come to realize is that as hard as it is to, you know, let go, I wrote a whole book about this, you know, giving thanks and letting go, um, which is available from Ave Maria Press. But as hard as that is, I've come to realize that, yeah, we are letting go and things are changing and that can be very challenging. And, And we grieve, rightfully so. We grieve what's gone, what's lost. Our kids are not little anymore. We don't have that same family life we had when everybody was little and living under our roof. But there's so many blessings to this, this time as well. And I find that kids come back. Yeah, sometimes they come back and live in your basement. We, we haven't really had that experience. But we've had kids back for short lengths of time and that sort of thing. And like my son Ambrose and his wife finished up grad school down in Florida. And now they're back here in New Hampshire. They're living and working here uh, not too far away. And uh, my daughter, Katerie, and her husband have built their house just 15 minutes from us. And, you know, we're looking forward to a wedding. My son, Eamon, is engaged and going to get married this October. And everyone will be home for that beautiful celebration, that gathering of family. And I find there are many opportunities like that. And so as much as it can feel like, oh, this is goodbye forever, it's gone forever, your life just expands in many ways and grows. And the blessing are exponential in ways that you never anticipated and until you're actually there witnessing them and experiencing them together as a family. So I just wanted to add that little little note of encouragement in case you're struggling a little bit this time of year. And maybe you're just a mom of like a newborn and a toddler and you are dreading <laughs> that they're ever going to go away to college. I know I started dreading and, and fearing and being anxious about that early on. If that's you, just let this be your, your voice of encouragement that 
you can do it. And there's so many blessings to it. As hard as it can be, sometimes change is difficult. Even change for very good things is challenging. It's difficult. Give yourself the grace, the space that you need to process that change. But then don't wallow in that. Don't wallow in feeling sorry and feeling sad. It's, and allow yourself those feelings. There's nothing wrong with feeling that way. But, you know, look on. There, there are opportunities, new opportunities in every stage, every season of life. So... I hope that that's a little bit encouraging to anybody who's kind of despairing, you know, flashback, gosh, what was it like six years ago at this point, I was in a bad place. I was having a hard time uh, letting go of some of my kids and with kids going away to college and kind of adjusting to my new life, which is quieter and simpler in some ways and bigger and more complicated in other ways. So I get it. And it's a, a normal, a normal part of your experience of motherhood is going through changes like that. All right, but this week's show, I am focused on a conversation I recently had with Meg Hunter-Kilmer, who calls herself a hobo for Christ. I am so excited for her to share exactly what she means by that, because I've been intrigued by her following her on social media for many years now. She's a joy and inspiration, and she is on fire about this new book that she's created for kids. It's a beautifully illustrated collection of stories of saints from around the world. I can't wait for her to share about it with you herself, so let's not wait anymore. Take a listen. Hey, everybody. Welcome. I'm excited to be welcoming a special guest here on Girlfriends today. Meg Hunter-Kilmer is here with us. So Meg is what she calls a hobo missionary. After two theology degrees from Notre Dame and five years as a high school religion teacher, she quit her job in 2012 to live out of her car and preach the gospel to anyone who would listen. 50 states and 25 countries later, this seems to have been a less ridiculous decision than she initially thought. She blogs at piercedhands.com and at alatea.org, though she's much more prolific on Instagram and Facebook. And Meg has a new project that she's here to talk about today. Her gorgeous new book is called Saints Around the World. And she's here on Girlfriends to tell us all about it. Hey, Meg, welcome to Girlfriends. Well, thank you. I'm so excited to be here with you. Yeah, I have been following you online for a long time, so I'm thrilled to have this opportunity to chat with you. And we'll get to um, talking about the book Saints Around the World in just a moment. But some people just listen to that bio and they're like, <laughs> uh, what? <laughs> so let's start there. Uh, for people who might not be familiar with you or haven't heard you explain it previously, um, how did you, how did this happen that you went from being, you know, a high school religion teacher with your degrees to living out of your car and just preaching the gospel wherever people will listen? I mean, you know how Jesus is, right? Like <laughs> he has some ideas that we would not have. Right. So I, I was a teacher for five years and I really loved being a teacher. Uh, and then it became very clear that God was calling me out of the classroom. I'd had a lot of consolation, a lot of miraculous protection from anger. I'm naturally a, a very angry person. And in four and a half years in the classroom, I was angry two times. And wow. I was like, that's a miracle, right? I don't know if you've met a teenager, <laughs> but that's a miracle. Yeah. And um the trouble was that I taught for five years and mm -hmm. that last semester, the grace was withdrawn. I'm talking oh. like three times a week. I would have to stop talking, turn around, rest my head on the board and breathe deeply. So as not to flip out mm -hmm. on some kid. And, uh, you know, I'm not saying if your life gets hard run, I'm saying if your life is supernaturally hard, pay attention, mm -hmm. right? If everything sure. external is the same and the internal is different, you got to listen to that. And so I took it to prayer 
And I prayed about leaving. I felt a lot of peace. I prayed about staying. I felt a lot of anxiety. Uh, obviously, you have to be in a state of grace for that kind mm-hmm. of discernment to work. But you know, I, I was like, okay. So I pull out my Excel spreadsheet with all of the different schools I want to teach at and their average SAT and their curriculum and how many things went there because I'm ridiculous. <laughs> people hear my life and they're like, oh my gosh, you must be so bohemian. And I'm like, I love spreadsheets so much. <laughs> I love them so much. I'm so type A, Daniela. And, and I was like, I guess I'll pray about not teaching, but like, that's not a thing, right? right. Like I've got a master's degree in theology. That and a winning personality will get you a second interview at McDonald's. This is not, <laughs> not a lucrative degree, right? right? And I just felt this resounding peace about not teaching anymore. Wow. I was like, what am I supposed to do with that? You know, like mm-hmm. what, what are my other options? And I was talking to a priest friend of mine and he's like, well, you're good at public speaking. You've been wanting to do more of that. And I was like, that's cute, father. But it's not like a career plan, right? Mm-hmm. You can't just like jump into that. I was like, what? I'm going to just like move into my car and like drive around and sleep on random strangers' couches and give talks. And and I prayed about it. And God was like, yeah. <laughs> That's the plan. Right? Like, like <laughs> tell me why not. And, uh, and if you're naturally a bum on the couch and you think that kind of life sounds like a good idea, it's not. Get a job, right? But, right. but I'm like so achievement-oriented, focused on impressing people. And I'm seriously looking at this thinking like, yeah, I should go to my high school reunion at my like science and tech high school where literally a dozen of my classmates work for NASA. Right. And I'd be like, I live in a car. That'll be great. <laughs> and I was like, there's, there's no part of me that would ever choose this. So I've got to trust that it's the Holy Spirit or like, I don't know, a brain tumor or something. Right. Because <laughs> like, like, it's not, it's not me. And so mm-hmm. I thought it was going to be for two months. Yeah. It's been nine years. Wow. So apparently I'm spot on on the what of discernment and a little bit shady on the how long, which is good because there's no way. If God had been like, just live in a car for maybe the rest of your life, I would have been like, I need to see a doctor. Yeah, <laughs> right. That's a no. That's- yeah. <laughs> Amazing. I, I love that story. And I love that you share that it's not something that felt very natural to you, that came naturally to you. Because I think that's something, whether you're feeling called to live out of your car or not, that's something all of us kind of struggle with. Like, you know, you feel like you're being called to something or, and your initial response is like, oh, uh, no, 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 you have the wrong person for that, God, uh-huh. right? Like to kind of correct him. And I, I like thinking about how Moses even did that, right? When exactly he, like, what I was thinking. He's like, no, like, no, I'm not a good speaker. And God's like, you think I'm dumb? Aaron's already walking here. Like he left three weeks ago, buddy. I'm not stupid. I know you right. stutter. Oh my gosh. That is yeah. the best. Yeah. So he he gives you what you need. He equips you for what he's calling you to. It doesn't mm-hmm. work the other way around, even though that's more of our comfort level some of the time. So I find your story so inspiring for that reason. And that and I'm I'm grateful to you for sharing it so candidly that you just stepped out and like, here we go. We're gonna try this thing. And that it's turned into nine years and who knows what the future holds. And it's beautiful to see just how much healing God has brought in me through this life I would never have chosen. And I think a lot of times you can look back on that, you know, like maybe, maybe you uh, are widowed young, or maybe you're raising a child who has severe disabilities or, you know, Mm -hmm. like all of these different circumstances in our life where we can be like, this is garbage. (laughs) Like This is awful. Who would choose this? And God's like, I know, and I am not saying it's easy and I am not thrilled to see you suffering, but I promise you I am working. I promise you I am bringing healing because everything that God allows is ultimately for our good. And sometimes that ultimately does take decades, but, but God works on his own time and just knowing, knowing the incredible good that he brings through circumstances that we wouldn't have chosen. I just find so consoling. 
Absolutely. Yeah. That's a really encouraging story to share. So tell us like right now, you told me you're, you're, you're in a closet in a, in a Catholic school in Maryland. What, what is your, what does your day to day look like this week anyway? So this week is my favorite week of the year. Every summer I come for a week to a day camp that's run out of a parish in small town, Southern Maryland. And it's a camp that was started for the salvation of the instructors. Basically, this priest and youth minister got together and they were like, how do we make saints of 16 to 22 year olds? And they're like, Mm. we will pay them to go to daily mass and make a holy hour and go to theology class and build community. And like, we'll make them camp counselors in the middle of all of that. But the (laughs) point, the point is for them to be living this life of prayer. And so I've been coming here for almost 10 years and I, I go on pilgrimage with these kids and I go visit them at college and I meet their children after they get married. And some of them just got ordained last weekend. Um, Just a really beautiful community. And so what I do, I come and I give talks, but then I I just have a schedule uh, where people sign up to talk to me. And I just sit on a couch for 40 hours this week and and I feel their feelings with them. And I listen to their hearts and I pray with them and I give them spiritual reading or saint friends or Mm -hmm. advice or tell them to go to therapy. There's a lot of that. right? <laughs> and it's, it's just really beautiful because I love relational ministry and that can be really tricky in, right. in my peripatetic life. Uh, but this is a place where I'm just, I'm home and people are, are so happy to see me. And it's the, it's the closest I get to home anywhere in the world. And so yeah. it's just such a joy to be here. I love that. And I love that you have that opportunity to do that once a year. What a great thing. What a beautiful blessing. But some of your other weeks, you find yourself talking to college students or high school students or, you know, elementary school students or older people. Mm -hmm. Um, So maybe just give us a little bit of kind of a, what what is the breadth of the kinds of speaking experiences you've had? Yeah. So I've spoken to ages one through 98. Nice. um, Unless there was somebody older than that who just looked real good. Uh, I think Una, who was a maid during the Great Depression, is the oldest I've gotten Wow! Um, on really whatever the Holy Spirit seems to be saying. So I speak a lot on scripture and a lot on the saints, um, but I don't generally have much of a plan when I when I say that and open my mouth. It's just mm-hmm. kind of a question of what the Holy Spirit might show up with, um, yeah. which is good because it's harder for me to feel pleased with myself if I haven't done, you know, the work that I've been de- doing sure. is living a life of prayer and a life of spiritual reading and a life in scripture. But I'm not like, Ooh, I've got this really clever thing. I'm going to say, right. Um, It's just kind of something comes out and you're like, all right, Holy spirit. Like (laughs) let's do that. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. That's a great point. I think that's, that's many people's experience of the Holy spirit, right? Yes. When I, I know that I've, I remember one time I stumbled upon an email conversation, like way back in my archives. And I went back and I was reading what I wrote and I was like, wow, I really needed to hear that right now. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> it wasn't me. <laughs> yes. I've had people quote me on social media without attributing it to me. And it's something that I wrote years before. And I'm like, oh my gosh, yes. That is so <laughs> true. And they're like, oh, sorry, I forgot to tag you. And I'm like, oh, awkward. I didn't realize that was the one who wrote that. Yep. Well, it wasn't really you, right? Exactly. I think that's beautiful to have that kind of detachment from mm-hmm. the kind of glory that it can be tempting to seek if you're doing public ministry of any kind. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And it is so damaging to the soul, right? right. It's a, it's a right. dangerous, dangerous thing. So yeah. you just got to yeah. stay rooted in the sacraments, right? Ooh. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I want to talk about this new book because it is gorgeous. Thank Saints you. Around the World, which technically is a children's book, but 
I love it. Like, I don't, I, you know, I may or may not share it with right. in my life, but I love it for myself. Um, so explain to us how this book came to be, what the concept is. All yeah. That. So it's, it's a hundred stories of saints from nearly 70 different countries. And my guiding document was a map. So when you open up the book, you'll see a map that has numbers on it. And you just look and you see just how broad the church is, what it means that the church is really universal. And I think that in much of the church, our stained glass windows and our statues are very European. And it makes sense in churches that were built by German immigrants and Irish immigrants that that would be who's in our windows. But the church is so much bigger than this small subsection of holiness. And it's so much bigger than saints who were nuns or saints who never sinned in their lives and were just so pleasant and lovely and <laughs> saints who were thin and saints who weren't disabled. You know, like mm-hmm. we have sort of this very limited understanding of holiness. And I really want, you know, in all of the ministry I do, I'm working on broadening that and sharing about these different images of holiness um, from different cultures and with different backgrounds and different mental illness and different um, addictions. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to do that for children. Uh, I wanted the book to be beautiful, which I don't think is a universal reality in Catholic children's books. Um, So I have an amazing friend. One of my dearest friends is my illustrator. And so I wanted to work with her and and to put together this map so that you're looking at the map and you're like, oh my gosh, how are there so many saints in Southeast Asia? Like there are saints in Papua New Guinea. There's a saint in Iceland. Like what's going on? And then really highlight not just the ethnic diversity and that representation, but also like there's a saint in a wheelchair and there is a saint with a limb. I think we've got two saints with limb differences and three saints who are little people. And just like a lot of looking through and being like, oh my goodness, like holiness is possible in my life. And then talking about some hard things like saints who were divorced and Mm -hmm. saints whose parents were never married and saints who had learning disabilities and all of these things just to say, whatever your circumstances, God is working. God is for you and he delights in you. And hopefully to speak that to children and to their parents. I mean, you said it's, it's billed as a children's book, but of these hundred stories, you're not going to know more than 25. I mean, I asked yeah, a nun I for sure the other didn't. day and she counted 25 and I was like, and that's a nun. So yes. really it's a, it's a lot of new friends uh, and I'm excited to see what the Lord does as people begin to de- develop relationships with all of these new saints and blesseds. I love that. And, you know, just leafing through, it does exactly that. Like it smashes that idea that a saint has to look a certain way. And I think a lot of us do that. Like, well, you know, because there's been a whitewashing for sure in yeah. literal ways for sure of our history, you know, as a nation, but as a church too, where you kind of come to think of saints in, in one way, like they look like that statue in the corner of my church, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and yes, those are <laughs> saints. Those are, those are great saints. Um, but I love that it, it kind of opens up the idea that, oh, uh, it doesn't have to look a certain way because, and, and sometimes that's the temptation, right? We kind of keep saints on their pedestal and that's a separate life from mine. That's a different thing from what I'm doing here in mm-hmm. my real world, because I'm dealing with X, Y, or Z, or I'm different from that saint in these ways. But and I, I love that it's aimed at children because that's a great place to begin is in childhood opening up that idea of your call to be a saint, like that's not some impossible thing. That's yes. what you're supposed to do, right? And and you're called to be a saint as you are, right? Mm-hmm. And so talking about some of these saints, you know, blessed Nicholas Bunkert Kitbamrung, who was so stubborn, they almost didn't ordain him. And when God transformed him, he didn't make him 
not stubborn. He didn't make him just like a wishy-washy guy. He turned his stubbornness into determination. And so mm -hmm. seeing the way that your particular personality quirks can be transformed by grace, not washed away, right? Mm -hmm. I spent years thinking holiness meant staring placidly into space and smiling <laughs> vapidly. And I just wanted to murder everybody because I'm a shouter and God, like, God made me big and loud and a lot. And he did it on purpose. It wasn't because he wanted me to spend my life trying to be different. Right. And so getting to know just this three-dimensional holiness. Um, and, you know, it's beautiful to see little children who are Black, Indigenous, and people of color and who see themselves in the saints in a way that they haven't before. You know, the excitement mm -hmm. where they're like, oh, my grandma's from Korea. And you're like, oh my gosh, Korean saints are amazing. But it's also really cool to see to see the way that children see saints who don't look like them. And mm -hmm. that that impacts the understanding they have of different cultures and communities. Like my sister's kids live in a place where there aren't a lot of black people, but they know the saints in this book. And so their stereotype of black people is that they're probably monks and nuns. <laughs> right? like they just they assume holiness, you know, right. and and I think they do the same. Like if they see someone in a wheelchair, they're like, oh, like Blessed Benedetti Bianchi Poro. And if they see someone who's a little person, they're like, oh, like Saint Margaret of Castello. You know, that yep. we're we're then seeing these people through the lens of of the most beautiful elements of their community, which I think is such a gift. I love that. So you've mentioned a few of the particular saints that are included. What are like maybe one or two of the most surprising to you when you were doing this research? What, what did you find that surprised you? The stories that really surprised yeah. me. Um, I was really excited to find a saint from Kazakhstan. Oh, yeah. I did not think that I would manage any of the stands. Um, <laughs> and, and I'm limited. So I only did blesseds and saints. So we've mm -hmm. got, um, there's a, a Pakistani servant of God and, you know, like a couple of, of other options in there. But blessed Ladislas Bukovinsky was actually Polish, but he spent most of his life serving in Kazakhstan. And he's, he's really beautiful. So he was in a concentration camp during World War II and like the Nazis are shooting into the crowd and he's crawling around absolving people instead of protecting himself. But then the communists take over and they sentence him to, I think the copper mines. And he goes out to Kazakhstan and he knew that these people needed a father. God mm -hmm. can use whatever instruments he wants. And so God used these like horrific experiences as he yeah. had because God, as a father, knew that his people needed a father. And he knew that Blessed Ladislaus Bukovinsky needed to be a father to those people, right? And so, mm -hmm. I mean, just geographically, that was pretty exciting to yeah. me. Um, and then I would say, well, probably the other, there, were, there are a couple others who I met through doing this research who I really, really loved. And one of them is Blessed Kalemba Kangwon Suk who is a Korean blessed. And I love the Korean martyrs. Of all of the countries in the world, Korean saints are my absolute favorite. They're, <laughs> they're just incredible. And we know a lot about them. And we have a lot of like little details about things like, yep. you know, books that they like to read and things like that. Columba Kangwon Suk was sort of like we were talking about earlier, how something really unfortunate can happen in your life that God can use for such good. So she was divorced and it was through her divorce that God made it possible for the church in Korea to exist because oh, wow. the rule in Korea at the time was uh, they could police couldn't search a noble woman's home if it was owned in her name and her husband didn't live there. 
Interesting. And I guess it was just to protect women from police brutality or from like any suggestion of impropriety, whatever. But mm-hmm. because she was divorced, she was able to basically host the entire church in her house. Wow. And there's like one priest in Korea for six years. Of the first 50 years, there's Catholics in Korea. There's one priest there for six years. And she's like smuggling him from one place to another. And all of these women whose families have rejected them because they want to be consecrated, come yeah. and move in and live with her. And she's like a, one of the chief catechists, even though as a woman that wouldn't have been expected in Korean culture. But mm-hmm. all of this really is rooted in this great trauma of her life where God right. was like, this is hard yeah. and this is painful, but I need you to see that I can bring good out of this as well. So she's, she's just beautiful. I mean, she's just like such a girl boss, like yeah. oh, really that's an great. incredible woman and a stepmother and had a great relationship with her mother-in-law and just like all kinds of like difficult relationships and areas in modern life. Columba Khan mm-hmm. once is like, oh, oh, I know. I know. Like I have been there. Oh, your husband had an affair. Oh, my husband had an affair. Like, let's have this conversation. Wow. Oh my gosh. I really love that story. And I hadn't read it yet. So I'm going to go check that one out after we talk here today. Like, I love that story because like you said, it's taking that her divorce, like the thing she never would have chosen for herself. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and that really is a great example to every one of us. Like, what is your thing that's happening that you never would have chosen? Like, that's what God's going to use that mm-hmm. particular thing to bring about the greater good. What a beautiful story. So inspiring and gorgeous book. Okay. So you mentioned the illustrator. Let, let's talk about this talented woman and let's talk about these illustrations. Are they watercolors? Yeah. So it's watercolor and pen and ink. Okay. Um, and Lindsay's amazing. So she runs this shop, Almond Rod Toys. So if anybody who's listening has those saint blocks, mm-hmm. um, those are Lindsay's saint blocks. And I just have always loved her work. And so when I really, the reason that I thought of doing this book is I was like, Lindsay should illustrate a book and I should write it. <laughs> you know, like it, it was really, it was illustrations first. And she, and she's a beautiful artist, but she's also a really brilliant researcher. And so you'll see as you're reading the book, these notes underneath that tell you what type of fabric this is that's used by this particular community. And the colors are inspired by this indigenous lace weaving called Yanduti. And this is a specific building that he lived in during this period. And his hands are in this position because it signifies, you know, I mean, she just, she was so deliberate. And we were also really careful because I know that there are some cultural missteps that you can make totally unintentionally. And so we, we found members of each community that mm-hmm. we were drawing pictures from. And we asked them, look at this picture and tell us, is this okay? And there was one in particular, um, Blessed Paul Taoshang was holding a gong. He's a Hmong man from Laos. And the Hmong person we were talking to was like, he can't be holding a gong that's pagan. And we were like, oh, but he did hold the gong. And he was like, okay, but he can't be holding a gong. And I was like, well, I'll just put in the story to explain. And he was like, you're, you're not understanding. <laughs> he can't be holding a gong. And I was like, I'm sorry, you're right. Like, Right. You're right. And and I think it's sort of like if we had someone who had rehabilitated a squas- a swastika, like mm-hmm. you still wouldn't put a swastika in right. a children's book. Like it doesn't matter that they had made it work, you still wouldn't put it in. And so we right. you know, just her sensitivity to that thing and and recognizing, you know, like the eyes that she makes on her people um tend to be like very sort of almond shaped. And when mm-hmm. they're when their eyes are closed, it can look like a stereotype for the way that Asians are drawn. And so she just made sure that most of her Asians had open eyes because Mm -hmm. she was like, I don't want anybody to think that this is, that this is a stereotype and like researching hairstyles for different communities and just like, 
yeah, really, really such a gift to be working with her. And then her husband has a PhD in theology. And so he would walk in and be like, uh, so the chasuble in that picture actually is more of a 12th century Irish chasuble than an 8th century (laughs) Irish chasuble. So you're going to want to, and we're like, I mean, yes, it's dream team. Just off the top of your head, it really is a dream team. It's great, amazing. So I'm just like I'm in awe of the amount of work that's behind this beautiful project. You know, on you know what you're describing on her part, but then on your part, like how long did it take you to do this research, and what was your process like? So I I get excited. And then, and then I just like go really hard. So I wrote the 40,000 word book in six weeks. Oh my word. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, and part of it is because with my ridiculous life living in other people's homes, it is really hard to get anything done on a regular basis. Right. And so I had made space actually right at the beginning of lockdown before we knew about coronavirus. I had scheduled to wow. be on break on like a little writing sabbatical. After after lockdown was announced, people were like, so let me know next time you've got a plan to take some time off and I'll stock up <laughs> on toilet paper. Uh, but I, I had this time that I knew I was going to be able to work on the book. And I was like, this is the time that I have. And so I, I actually wrote two books during lockdown. But I was like, I, there's no guarantee after May 31st that I will have any free time to myself. So right. You know, it's kind of like if you're expecting your first baby, like you've got a limited amount of time before you're just going to be sleep deprived for the next You were just nesting for the birth of this book. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. I just had to get it out there. (laughs) Good for you. That is amazing. I I love that you you work that way. So were you in, you were staying in one place at that point? Yes. So I was in Oklahoma, um, actually in abandoned rectory in Oklahoma. So I still had access to the Blessed Sacrament. I couldn't receive the Eucharist during lockdown, but I could pray in front of a tabernacle, which was more than most people. So yeah, yeah, and then I was just spending hours and hours Googling every day and Googling in foreign languages and figuring out, you know, Google Translate and trying to find how to say this thing in Ukrainian so that I can search for it so that I can learn more about this saint. So great. And and, I mean, you must have already had some go-to ones that you wanted to be sure to include. I, I know because following you on Twitter, that's been one of the most edifying experiences is you'll just tweet like a little description of a saint that's kind of out there. And I always get hooked. I'm like, okay, who's that? Like, You're like give me more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tell yeah, me there more was definitely, There are definitely some where I was like, well, obviously, Blessed Peter Kibe is going to be in there because he's my best friend, right? <laughs> and obviously, St. Barnabas is going to be in there because he's my other best friend. And then, you know, some places just geographically, you don't have any options, right? There mm-hmm. is one Australian saint. Yeah. So she was in the book. And there yeah. is one Pacific Islander saint. So he is in the book. But then mm-hmm. you get to places like Korea, where there are hundreds, or like Italy, you know, obviously, where you've got so many to choose from. And that's where, you know, some of them are people that I'm friends with. And some of them are people where I'm like, you know, we don't yet have somebody who fills this need. And sometimes I think the Holy Spirit is just like, no, I've got a story I need you to tell. And I'm like, I don't, I'm not really into that saint. He's like, doesn't matter. Yeah, I've got a story that I need you to tell. I'm like, Okay, well, so there are definitely some in the book where I'm like, not really sure why I picked him. But He's there. Clearly, there's a reason. <laughs> that's how God works. Honestly, I think every one of these saints is your best friend because the, the way you talk about them, they are real to you. And they are like, and even these very foreign sounding names, they just roll off of your tongue like that's your best friend who lives down the street. I love exactly. that. Yeah. And I just feel like when you develop these relationships with the saints, it draws mm-hmm. you so much deeper into the heart of Jesus. Yeah. You know, like knowing these people as as your family and and feeling that they're on your team 
there's just so much hope in the brokenness in your life because you've seen the brokenness in their life. And I don't shy away from talking about the brokenness right. in the book. I'm very careful in the language that I use because I know that children can be very tenderhearted. So I don't describe any martyrdoms, uh, which mm-hmm. is kind of hard to refrain from with some yes. of these really cool stories. Um, <laughs> But I know that children can be traumatized. And I've talked to people who are like, I used to be Catholic, but I, I read these horrifying saint books and it was too scary. And now I'm not. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to do that. Okay. And so just talking, like talking about abuse. And there's one saint um, who I didn't, I really didn't want to include Danielle, uh, mm-hmm. but she's the only, the only modern woman who lived her whole life in mainland Africa. And by modern, I mean, since the fifth century. Right. Uh, and I was like, I got, I gotta, right. Yeah. But she's got a Maria Goretti type story. Okay. Which is tricky to tell the children. Sure. And also can just like really the way that we tell it can be really traumatizing to people. Um, sure. And so I was like, Lord, you got to be in charge of this. And so the way that I, that I phrased it, that, you know, she resisted sexual assaults and was killed for it. I said, he tried to touch her in a way that she didn't like, and that is never okay. So she uh-huh. kicked and she fought to protect herself. And I was like, okay, so now the story, it's consent, it's mm-hmm. bodily autonomy, it's that self-defense is a good thing. You know, it's not, right. it would have been better for her to die than to be assaulted, right? It's, right. It's, yeah, that's it's sometimes the message. Empowering children to resist people's advances that they're uncomfortable with. And I was yeah. like, okay, all right. So this is a good thing. And yes. then, children, like, they love her, Danielle, mm-hmm. like. Really? They just love her. And I, I don't really get it because she <laughs> aren't super close, but my niece, Mary Claire, like we found out that they, that her, uh, so it's blessed Marie Clementine Anorita Ningapeta. Mm-hmm. So Marie Clementine's feast day is the same day as my Mary Claire's baptismal anniversary. Aww. And I told her this and she like grabbed her heart and Aww. gasped and she had tears in her eyes and she's seven years old and she has a twin sister. They have the no. same baptismal anniversary. That's beautiful. But Elizabeth isn't friends with Blessed Marie Clementine. So Elizabeth just looks at Mary Claire and she's like, Mary Claire, she loves you so much. Oh my she loves gosh. you so much, Mary Claire. And just to see these children develop real friendships, right? Mm-hmm. Not just like a vague affinity, but right. like real relations with these people because they're alive. That's and they're beautiful. praying for you from heaven. And it's just been beautiful. It's been beautiful to see the fruits already. And the book's only been out a couple of weeks. Right. I was going to ask you about that. I mean, it's freshly launched. Um, by the time this airs, it'll have been out for a few more weeks. But um, what's been the kind of feedback you're getting? And are you going into classrooms and talking to kids about it? Or are there plans for that? So school's out. Uh, it came out right when when school got out, which was uh-huh. a little bit frustrating for me. Um, <laughs> But we've been having a lot of launch parties. And so mm-hmm. I'm just kind of, you know, because I live out of my car, yeah. driving around and just sitting at a, setting up at a park and reading the stories to kids. And it's, it's really exciting for me just to see they will read until I drop, right? Like yeah. they are happy to listen to those stories nonstop. Um, and I have been able to get into a couple of schools. We have a donation program going where you can donate money to buy copies of the books at the wholesale price. And then I'm donating them to schools in low-income communities and with a high population of Black, Indigenous, and people of color attending the school. And so going into these schools and reading to these kids and just seeing their excitement. Mm-hmm. And um, even, you know, like some of it, it's like really resonates. They're like, my grandma's from Mexico. And they're like oh my so excited to hear about it. <laughs> Saint. Uh, and so that's been really exciting too, just to see 
see kids who maybe, you know, like a lot of the kids I'm reading them to, they know Jesus, they know mm-hmm. the saints, but to be reading them to kids who maybe don't have that relationship already and seeing the Lord plant seeds through That's this storytelling, because storytelling is so powerful, mm-hmm. so powerful. And we don't always remember that as a church and remember right. that we have such incredible stories to bring people to Jesus. Oh man, this is a book that does exactly that. So some people listening are like, okay, I want to, I want to bring this to my kids. I want to bring this to my kids' school. I want to bring it to VBS this summer. Like where can they go to get more information, maybe get in contact with you about this book? So the best plan is to go to saintsaroundtheworld.com. Okay. And if you go to the buy link, it'll tell you different options for buying, you know, through the illustrator's Etsy shop or international options. I've had people reaching out from all over the world and I'm like, okay, book depository, you know, (laughs) various different distributors in different countries. Um, If you want me to come in and do a book reading or just like hang out with your kids and give them safe friends, you can contact me through social media. Um, So if you Google Hobo for Christ, you'll find me and my website and you can click all those things so that you can contact me and yeah, get a copy of this book. I mean, even Danielle, have you looked at the indices yet? No, I haven't gotten there. So I'm so excited about the indices, which is ridiculous, right? What kind of weirdo do you have to be? So there's, um, there's a geographical index, right? So you can look it up by region and by country. And then there's a feast day index. So you can find your birthday and there's a chronological index for the homeschoolers among us who like, need to know the 16th century saints while they're teaching the 16th century. But then there's a topical index and this is my favorite. So you can look up artists or athletes or loneliness or worry or bullying or divorce or adoption or like all of these different things. And I mean, I had a kid who I was like, Hey, do you want me to read to you? And he was like, no. And I was like, "Mm, can I just read you one? And I looked up adventure in the index and I just Mm -hmm. read him one from adventure. And he was like, you could do another one. <laughs> I just like went through the, the adventure category, you know, oh my gosh. the kid who needed to be convinced. So you can look at warriors or royalty. Um, and that's something that I, that I find really exciting. First of all, just to be like, oh, I wonder if there's a soccer state. But also when you're dealing with uncertainty, when you're feeling unwanted, um, right. when you're having family difficulties, that you don't have to remember which was the saint that was good for this, that you're able to to look that up. And that little kids can too, you know, right. if they if they feel lonely and they don't want to talk to their parents about it, you know, hopefully eventually they will, but they can look it up first and they can talk to a friend in heaven about that experience. Oh, wow. That is such an amazing resource. I love that it's set up that way. That is beautiful. What a beautiful book. Meg, I want to thank you for the gift you are to the church, but thank you also for the gift that this book is. I know it's going to be a treasured part of church history for all time. I I am just so excited about this book. Thank you for writing it. And thanks so much for spending some time with us here on Girlfriends today. It has been such a joy, Danielle. Thank you. Absolutely. So get all the links in the show notes, people, at ascensionpress.com. If you cannot remember or cannot go to ascensionpress.com right now, just text the word girlfriends to 33777. We will get you hooked up, subscribed, so you get all of those links in your inbox. Thanks, Meg. God bless you. God bless you. All right. Coming up, we've got more of the show for you. But first, we're going to take a quick break. I'm Danielle Bean, and you're listening to the Girlfriends Podcast. Am I saved? How do I develop a better prayer life? How do I trust in God? The Curious Catholic is a new series of bite-sized books from Ascension that answer these questions and more. The Curious Catholic features small books from various authors that provide busy Catholics ways to go deeper into spiritual questions. The first three titles in the series are from Father Mike Schmitz, host of the Bible in a Year podcast. 
Father Mike's books explore the topics of salvation, prayer, and trusting in God. To learn more about the Curious Catholic series, go to ascensionpress.com slash curiouscatholic. That's ascensionpress.com slash curiouscatholic. In these few weeks during summer, I've been doing a mini book club for my book, Whisper, Finding God in the Everyday, which is available at ascensionpress.com. I really wrote this book for myself as much as anybody else, kind of reminding myself of the ways that God really is present and looking to connect with us inside of everyday moments, even in our very busy lives. He's right there. He's in the people that you are called to love and serve. He's in the work that you're doing. He's there present, of course, in your your prayer time, in quiet, in times of peace and stillness, in moments of joy, in moments of sorrow. He's there with us. He's so steadfast. He's so faithful. And, you know, much of what I share in this book feels like, no, duh, you know, but I need that reminder of those no duh things. Like, of course, God is present. Of course, God loves us. Of course, God is active in every moment of our everyday lives. But in the last few chapters, I look at the sacraments. Last week, we talked about the sacrament of confession. And of course, God is present in the sacraments. These are ways that we truly connect with God and receive actual grace that is necessary for the living out of our everyday lives. So last week, we talked about the sacrament of confession. And then today, I want to talk about chapter nine, which is titled God Within Us, Everyday Eucharist. So I start out this chapter talking about the time during the pandemic of 2020, which, are you sick of hearing about it yet? Yeah, I, I'm sick of all of it. <laughs> That's just a side note. Where, you know, many of us were deprived of access to the sacraments, the Eucharist especially. Many of us weren't able to go to Mass. It wasn't available to us. And I share how I went 21 weeks without receiving the Eucharist. And that that was like, something I had never experienced before. And, you know, I kind of had conflicted feelings during that time where, of course, I wanted to be going to Mass and I wanted to be receiving the Eucharist, but it was hard to really appreciate the ways in which I was missing the Eucharist, the ways in which I was longing for the Eucharist, the value, the real grace that I was feeling, you know, I was feeling was lacking in my life as a result of not receiving the Eucharist on a regular basis, not having access to the Mass. But one of the stories that I share where it really stood out to me was on Palm Sunday during that time, there wasn't a Mass available, but our pastor had a parking lot prayer session where you were invited to come in your car and bring your palms, which here in New Hampshire, we do not have palms, especially in April. And so I just cut down a branch from a hemlock tree in our yard, and it was like, you know, looked like Christmas, but it was for Easter. And and bring those to have them blessed without leaving our cars. We all like parked in this parking lot, tuned our radio to a certain station. You probably experienced similar things in your parish at that time. And um, we had a prayer service where we prayed the Divine Mercy Chaplet, and he led us in some prayers. And then it was going to be um, a blessing of the palms. And then in the end, it was Eucharistic Adoration, where he brought out a consecrated host and put it into monstrance and went around car by car and blessed each car there with the Eucharist. And I was not prepared for how deeply moving I found that moment. Like, it was like, after all this time, after all these weeks of being deprived of the Eucharist, I fully understood the weight of that and the weight that I had been carrying. And I cried, just witnessing our priest there holding this monstrance and blessing us, standing in front of our car. We, you know, we're in there in our car with our windows rolled up, cut off from everybody. It was such a scary and uncomfortable time and unfamiliar time in so many ways. But I was so struck by Jesus's faithful presence there 
in the Eucharist in that moment. And, you know, this is something that we can be tempted to take for granted in our everyday Catholic lives as we're going to Mass every weekend. Many of us are, are back to Mass and back to regular access to the sacraments. So I like to reflect on that story, remember that story as sort of a call to not take the Eucharist for granted and recall who it is that we are receiving and what a gift it is and what a privilege it is to be able to receive Jesus in this way that Jesus loves us so much. He wants to be present to us in this way in this way that is deeply humbling to him. I mean, this is God, creator of the universe, here present in this tiny little piece of bread under the appearances of bread and wine. What a humble thing. And that he allows us to consume him. Imagine the level of intimacy that he desires with us, where he invites us to bring him into our bodies in this physical way. It's a beautiful thing to reflect on, a deeply human experience, wanting to connect with somebody in that way. And This is our awesome God who wants to connect with us in this deeply personal way. And, you know, I I think about that sometimes when people talk about, like, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? And I I share in the book about um, a friend of mine who's a Protestant who asked me that once, like, well, do you Catholics really have a personal relationship with Jesus? And I was like, well, we have the Eucharist. Like, it doesn't get any more personal than that. Like we are consuming him. We are bringing him physically present into our bodies. And yet it's such a simple thing, such a simple belief that we have, and yet it's uncomfortable sometimes. You know, we I, I share in the book uh, the gospel passage where Jesus is at first giving us this teaching and how people walked away. They were disgusted and uncomfortable. They said, this is a hard teaching. Who can believe this? And still, this is a hard teaching. Who can believe this? Do you ever sometimes feel sheepish? When you're describing what we believe about the Eucharist, Jesus's real presence in the Eucharist to somebody who's a non-believer, it can be uncomfortable. It can feel weird. Like, it's a weird thing that we believe. Yes, he's actually present. We believe in Jesus's real presence in the Eucharist, and we believe that we consume him and that he is physically present in our very bodies in that way. But what a beautiful gift, something we ought never take for granted. And yet I know I continually need the reminder How many times do we receive the Eucharist kind of unthinkingly or don't even, you know, allow ourselves to become distracted during our time of prayer after receiving the Eucharist when Jesus is there present and just longing for that connection with you? Where's your mind? Wandering off, making plans for the rest of your Sunday, perhaps? I know, I've been there. So this this chapter is really just a, a call, a reminder to us of the power of the sacrament of the Eucharist and the ways that God really means for it to be feeding us. God wants to feed us. He wants to feed us his very self, the grace that comes only from him. He wants to give us the strength and the grace that we can only get from him through the Eucharist. So that's chapter nine in Whisper, Finding God in the Everyday. If you have your copy I would love it if you would share some of your feedback with me here for the the podcast or just with me personally. I always love connecting with readers as they are reading my book because I share personal stories. I share, you know, really personal things about my life and sometimes in vulnerable ways in, you know, what I write in Whisper. But I I do that in the hopes that it's going to resonate with you, that my stories might not match up exactly with the details of your stories, but I want to encourage you to be looking for God's presence in your everyday life. I want you to be looking for God in your stories. I hope that the stories that I share in Whisper can encourage you to be looking for God and be thinking about the ways in which and open to hearing the whisper of God in all the ways that he's looking to connect with you 
in the everyday moments of your everyday life. Okay, that's all the time we have for today, but I want to thank you for being here. If you enjoy the Girlfriends podcast, would you share it with a friend? You can text them a link to the newest episode, or you can share it on social media, or just by word of mouth, let somebody know that you enjoy the Girlfriends podcast and invite them to also become a listener. It's a wonderful way that we're able to grow our community here at Girlfriends. I'm so grateful that you're a part of it. Thank you so much for being part of today's show. And until next time, I hope you enjoy your day and God bless your week. Girlfriends is a collaboration between DanielleBean.com and Ascension, the leader in Catholic faith formation. 